starting with verse 1. And this is what you shall do to them to hallow them for ministering to me as priest. Uh, This is them would be Aaron and his sons. Uh, Take one young bull and two rams without blemish, and unleavened bread, unleavened cakes mixed with oil, and unleavened wafers anointed with oil. You shall make them of wheat flour. You shall put them in one basket and bring them in the basket with the bull and the two rams. And Aaron and his sons you shall bring to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. You shall wash them with water. You shall take the garments, put the tunic on Aaron and the robe and the ephod, the ephod and the breastplate, and gird him with the intricately woven band of the ephod. You shall put the turban on his head and the holy crown of the turban. And you shall take the anointing oil, pour it on his head, and anoint him. Then you shall take his sons and put tunics on them. You shall gird them with sashes, Aaron and his sons. You shall put hats on them. The priesthood shall be theirs for a perpetual statute. And you shall consecrate Aaron and his sons. Verse 10, you shall also have the bull brought before the tabernacle of meeting. Aaron and his sons shall put their hands on the head of the bull. Then you shall kill the bull before the Lord by the door of the tabernacle Take some of the blood of, uh, of the bull and put it on the horns of the altar with your finger. Pour out the blood beside the base of the altar. Now, I'll skip over the killing of the rams. Skip over to verse 19. Then you shall take the other ram, and Aaron and his sons, you put their hands on the head of the ram. Each ram is killed as well. Then you shall kill the ram and take some of the blood and put it on the tip of the right ear, the tip of the right hand, on the big toe of the right foot. Yeah, this is what God wants them to do. And sprinkle the blood around the altar, and you shall take some of the blood that is on the altar, some of the anointing oil, sprinkle sprinkle it on Aaron and his garments with his sons, and the garments of his sons with him, and the garments shall be hallowed and his sons' garments with him. shall take the fat of the ram, the fat tail, the fat that covers the entrails, the fatty lobe attached to the liver, the two kidneys and the fat of the ram, the right thigh, for it is the ram of consecration. Verse 23, one loaf of bread, one cake made with oil, one wafer from the basket of unleavened bread that is before the Lord. She'll put all these, she'll put all of these, remember this, all of them into the hands of Aaron and his sons, and you shall wave them, like this, wave them before the Lord, and you shall receive them back from their hands and burn them on the altar as a burnt offering, as a sweet aroma before the Lord. It is an offering made by fire to the Lord. Uh, Drop down to verses 29, uh, actually 28. And it shall be from the children of Israel for Aaron and his sons as a statute forever, for as a heave offering. You shall be a heave offering from the children of Israel, from the sacrifice their peace offerings. Verse 29, and the holy garments of Aaron shall be his sons after him, to be anointed in them and to be consecrated in them, that uh, the son who becomes priest in his place shall put them on for seven days when he enters the tabernacle meeting to minister in the holy place. Uh, Let's go to the very end, verses 36 and 37. And you shall offer a bull every day as a sin offering for atonement, shall cleanse the altar When you make atonement for it, you shall anoint it to sanctify it. Seven days you shall make atonement for the altar and sanctify it, and the altar shall be most holy. Whatever touches the altar must be holy. We'll cover the last verses uh, when I return 
to the pulpit. Father, we thank you for this time this morning in your word. May your spirit give understanding. May your spirit speak and give utterance, Lord, that nothing would be from me and all from you. And Lord, we would not only hear these things, but Lord, they would have a transformational rather than an informational impact on our life, Lord, as we just walk in these things as opposed to know them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God doesn't want you and I to have a lot of new information, does he? But he does want us to have new transformation. But it is true that information, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. It is true that the Word of God is the impetus for the transformation from God, amen? Everything you see here is the Word of God, right? They had never heard, they being Aaron and his sons, of any of what God just showed them until it was told to Moses, then Moses conveys it to them. This will actually all be carried out in Leviticus chapter 8, so it doesn't happen immediately here, but God says, when the time comes, this is what I will have you to do to consecrate Aaron, who will be the high priest. Remember we saw the high priest in the breastplate and the ephod and the beautiful garments of the high priest, and then his sons who will wear more of white garments with a sash around the waist, and the sons will be uh, part of the priesthood as well, and, and some will end up being high priests themselves in their lifetime. But the, uh, the Word of God, as it was fresh and new to them, should always be fresh and new to us. And God tells us, these are the things that I want you to know first, but then do. Because knowing them is never enough. You, you as parents are not really satisfied if your kids just know what you've asked them to do, right? They have their chore list. Yeah, I know the chore list. Have you done any of them? No. But I know it, and I know where it is. It's on the fridge, right? I know where my Bible is. It's sitting over on the table over there, right? And I know what it says. Do you do it? No. But I know it. So that wouldn't, obviously, you look at the intricate details of this, and you would say, well, it would be pretty obvious if no one followed this, right? Even down to things like the blood on the earlobe and on the right thumb and on the right big toe, and, and God says each of these things must be done. And uh, so we want to look this morning, what, what was that saying really more to us today? I mean, there's a, we could do a deep study on what all that meant to the priesthood, but uh, in applying it to our lives today, what does this mean? If you're taking notes, I've titled our uh, time in God's Word today, Consecrated to Serve. Consecrated to Serve. I believe that the men that were here uh, Friday and Saturday, um, the Lord knows the hearts. Uh, I believe, I I'm praying that every single one of them, uh, but I know that... Uh, most of them, and prayerfully all of them, I believe, really want to consecrate their life to the Lord. I really, I could see that the, the sincerity is there, and the Lord knows that, and my prayer is that it's every single man in this place, and, and every woman as well, but the priesthood here, consecrated to serve, and you know that we are called to be kings and priests unto the Lord. We're not, uh, we're not called to go back and revive the Old Testament priesthood to all of a sudden start, we need to, 
well, Tim's the pastor. He should be wearing an ephod and, you know, all this stuff. And, and we need to be wearing white garments with sashes. And let's all quit our jobs and start sacrificing animals and things like that. Because Jesus has torn down that wall of separation. Amen? And, but now we have a living priesthood through the salvation that we just commemorated last week with the resurrection. So we're a living priesthood unto the Lord. Uh, you know, you know the, in Catholicism, they got all these saints, and yet I try and tell Catholics, we're actually all saints if we're saved. If we're saved, if we're born again, we're all saints. If we're saved, we're all then brought into the priesthood of the Lord, uh, serving Him. We're consecrated to serve the Lord. Now, in serving the Lord, we ultimately serve one another as well. Right? We wash the feet of each other just as Jesus did that night when he laid aside his robes and it was a picture of one laying aside his own authority to actually be a humble servant and washing the feet. But he was consecrating them because they would need to be consecrated for a lifetime of ministering unto the Lord. And this is what the Lord wants to do in our life. If also, if you're taking notes, we'll look at four brief things this morning. Redemption, consecration, redemption, consecration, sanctification, and occupation. Redemption, consecration, sanctification, and then occupation. Uh, all of us, God wants <laughs> to go through that continuum. And prayerfully, all of you have already been through and are right now in that continuum because that never stops. That is a perpetual continuum in the life of Christ. Redemption is a, is a one-time work, but it has a lifetime outworking. Make sense? It's a one-time work, I have been born again. My name is now written now in the Lamb's book of life, right? I've been sealed until the day of redemption. However, redemptive work, because grace was where salvation started. If you've been with us on Wednesday nights in our Roman study, although I'm saved by grace, I'm continually transformed by grace as well. And of course, that then uh, lends itself to the fact that is my life consecrated unto the Lord? It must be. Mine is. I pray that yours is. It must be. And then am I being continually, regularly sanctified? Yeah, we're sanctified with salvation, but there's an ongoing work of sanctification. And then lastly, we move into, with salvation, the realm of occupation. Jesus has set us all, Acts chapter 1, that he would bring power, that we would be his witnesses. We're working in his vineyard, amen? Richmond's a vineyard. Virginia's a vineyard. And we're all supposed to be working in the vineyard. No slothful workers will enter in unless they truly have been born again and are the workers in the vineyard. You know, Billy was covering that theme from a different angle, but same concept. So let's start with this redemption uh, we see in the very first verses, and this is what you shall do to them to hallow them, to hallow them, to make them wholly separated unto the Lord. Is your life wholly separated unto the Lord? Have you hallowed your life to the Lord? Them for ministering to me as priest, 
And he starts by the blood. Take one young bull and two rams without blemish. Or anything else is mentioned, the hallowing of their lives required the shedding of blood. You and I, without redemption, we are stuck not even out of the gate. Amen? You don't get out of the gate without the redemptive work of Christ. There, is, uh, there, are, there are pastors in America that are unsaved in the pulpits in America. Did you know that? Right here in Richmond. I could give you examples that are as clear as can be. Uh, what they, their decisions, their departure from the Word of God, in some cases their hatred for the Word of God, is clear evidence that they've never been redeemed. Paul talked about them, Jude talked about them, Peter talked about them, John talked about them, right? Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, they all talk about men that are supposedly anointed for the work of ministry that are not actually anointed by God at all. Their lives haven't been hallowed in the Lord because they've never been redeemed. Now, it wasn't, it's not that God wouldn't redeem them. They refused to be redeemed. Amen? Some of you invited people here last week. It's not that God told them they couldn't come back this week. They told God, I'm not coming back this week. Amen? There's nobody that God has ever said, you I will never use as one of my priests. People say, I will not be used as one. I will not accept the blood. God says, bring the bull and the ram. Nope. I'll bring something else. And Jesus said, but nothing else will satisfy. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And you'll never get away in the Old Testament from the shedding of blood, will you? It's a continual reminder that sin must be covered before there can be any holy sac- uh, ceremony, any sanctification, there must be the shedding of blood. And so this blood sacrifice points us to who? To Jesus. The blood sacrifice. You and I can't be kings and priests for him unless he first goes to the cross and rises from the dead. Without that, we're stuck. The idea behind the ancient Hebrew word, now they would bring this to the uh, to the. Uh, adore the tabernacle, and ultimately to the altar. And the word for the Hebrew word for altar essentially means killing place. Kind of like Golgotha, place of the skull. It was a place where executions were. The altar was a killing place. Innocent animals. I mean, I don't, uh, the, the, the rams or the bull, they didn't do anything wrong. They were substitutionary. They were substitutes for the sin. Aaron was not perfect, nor were his sons, nor are you or me or Moses or anyone else. So blood has to be shed, and ultimately this points to the perfect sacrifice, just like the Passover lamb that we talked about last Sunday. Ephesians 1.7 tells us, in him we have redemption. Through what? Through his blood. A lot of people don't like to talk about the crucifixion. E- even my own daughters, and I, I was with them. I just, I'm just more mature and older. Uh, we watched a little bit of that, uh, the final Bible series, which even though they got a lot of things woefully uh, messed up, I don't know if you saw the series, but uh, uh, Jesus was in a garden tomb. They had his tomb in like a desert, right? 
I'm like, there wasn't a greenery to be found anywhere near the tomb. Uh, but we know that he was in a garden tomb. But one thing that was fa- fairly, the crucifixion was, was quite graphic, wasn't it? And actually it was worse and far more brutal than that. And they wanted to look away, and I understand, and we all want to look away, don't we? But it's through the blood, Ephesians 1, 7, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. And the priesthood couldn't sacrifice for other people without first appropriating the blood for themselves. You can't, you can't, you won't even have a desire to win others to Christ if you haven't been won to Christ. Amen? Why would you ever say, to, why would you risk being a fool for Christ and people mocking you and laughing at you and saying, hey, you're a Christian weirdo and stuff like that and you believe the Bible? Why would you risk any of that unless you knew that it was life or death? Well, once you understand that you've been saved and you've appropriated the same blood, then you actually say to others, no, 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 I'm not better than you, right? I'm just presenting to you what I also needed, and they need too, whether they recognize it or not. We have to have the blood of Christ. It's the forgiveness of sins, the riches of his grace. Then we can actually serve the Lord and be used by him. We need his sinless life. Let's look at verse 2. The unleavened bread, the unleavened cakes, the unleavened bread, the unleavened cakes. Jesus was the unleavened. There was no leaven of sin in his life. He lived a sinless life, no sin to be found. Then with the oil, mixed with oil. This oil, we know that is a picture of the Holy Spirit. Same with the lamps lit of the wise virgins and the unwise virgins that don't have the oil uh, that Jesus speaks of. The oil is a picture of the Holy Spirit. You and I, we need the redemptive work of Christ. We need his sinless life. And we need his Holy Spirit. If anyone hath not the Spirit of Christ, he is not of Christ. You need the Holy Spirit. I I told the men, we had, men, did we not have a wonderful time of prayer to close right here where we gathered, tears were shed, and hands were laid on every man. And I said, if we don't leave here in the power of the Holy Spirit, you'll be back in your flesh by 5 o'clock this evening, if not sooner. Amen? You must have the power of the Holy Spirit. You can't do anything. Apart from Jesus, he said you can do nothing. So you need the anointing oil of the Spirit. Psalm 133.2, it is like the precious oil upon the head running down the beard of Aaron. It's not why I grew a beard, by the way, but uh, just for illustration purposes. I could, have tried, I could have demoed that. You know, I could have just taken some olive oil and you know, shown you how this whole thing works. But it notice that God wants to anoint us from on high. It's on the head. Why? Because it's a picture of it coming down like the Holy Spirit would come in Acts chapter 2, down out of heaven, and it comes over us. When we're saved, we get the Holy Spirit in us, but he wants to come not just in us, but upon us, envelop us, cover us. You know, uh, by the way, in speaking with the, the, the men's conference that we had yesterday, the first verse of Psalm 33, 133, 1, you may know it, is how beautiful it is to see brethren dwell in unity. Interesting that the second verse is about the oil running down the beard. You know what that means, or what it's, it means a lot of things, but one of the things that it means is that you'll never have unity in the body of Christ, 
You'll never have unity in your marriage. You'll never have unity brother to brother and genuine agape love without the oil of the Holy Spirit. You are fooling yourself. You know, you can set up a church program, say, we've got our 50s club, we've got our 40s club, we've got our 30s club, we've got our teens, we've got everything boxed up, we've got everything in arrangement. What's missing? Well, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you have a social club. And you don't have fellowship, you have friendships, which are extremely fragile, and as soon as someone steps on a toe, I'm out of here, new church for me. That's not the Holy Spirit. That is the world. That's the way the world lives. I bought such and so from a restaurant. They had bad service. I will never, no, never go there again. I'm done. That's the way the world thinks. But brothers that dwell in unity are brothers that have the oil running down their head of the Holy Spirit. And that oil is the Holy Spirit says, I forgave you, forgive them. You stepped on toes this week and no one shot you in the back, right? That's the kind of oil that the Holy Spirit... And the priesthood would have to have this. They would have to set the example of spirit-filled living to the congregation of Israel. Amen? Important. Then, what does it say next? And verse 4, And Aaron and his sons shall be brought before the tabernacle of meeting, and you shall wash them with water. What did Jesus do that night? I've already mentioned. He took the water... He washed the feet. Now, he told Peter. Peter said, after Peter realized that it had, first he wouldn't let the Lord, you can't, you can't wash me. Jesus said, if, you, if I don't wash you, you have no part in me. And then wash my head and, you know, he said, give me a bath, you know. Jesus said, no, no, all I, if I wash your feet, you're washed from head to toe. That's what Jesus does. Only he can do that. Jesus says, if I touch you with clean water, you're clean, Period. You can't clean yourself. He has to be the one to clean us. The, it didn't say, read it again, and bring the door and you shall wash them. Moses is a picture of who? And there shall rise up a prophet like unto Moses. Moses is a picture of who? Jesus. Who was supposed to wash Aaron and the sons? Moses. Moses is a picture of Jesus washing them. Jesus would later, to be a model, he would have his cousin John the Baptist do what? Baptize him. With what? Water. Jesus was sinless. He was setting the model that everyone would, when they died in their lives, when they crucified their lives unto Christ to be saved, that he would wash them in water, and then with the washing of water, raise them up. This not only is a picture of Christ washing us by the word, which Ephesians 5.26 tells us, that he might sanctify and cleanse her, being the church, with the washing of the water by the word. Titus 3.5, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing and the regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit washes with water, the Lord Jesus washes with water, the word washes with water. That's why you have to be in the Word. You need the continual washing. But also it points to the literal baptism of the believer as well. That every believer must be baptized. If you've never been baptized before, you need to be baptized. It's one of the first steps in obedience, and we see the foreshadowing of it 
way back in Exodus 29 that the priesthood could not serve unless they had been washed in water. And if you've never been baptized, you're still stuck in disobedience. Say, well, when we have a baptism, I'll, I'll get one set up quick. If you tell me you need to be baptized, we'll set one up. Now, we, do, we have one coming up. Uh, we'll probably do one in like June, but we don't need to wait that long. I'll get the baby pool out and baptize, right? I think we still have it, the one we bought. But we need to be washed. We need to be washed by the Lord Jesus, amen? We need to be washed by the Word, washed by the Spirit, and baptized. And the baptism doesn't come before the blood of the bulls. It came after the blood of the bulls, amen? You see that the blood came for First thing mentioned is the blood sacrifice. Then is mentioned the perfection life of Jesus, the oil of the Holy Spirit, which you would receive with salvation. If you're saved, you receive the Holy Spirit, and then baptism. But again, even once you've been baptized, we need daily washing by the Word. How many of your minds need washing? Right. Even if you're not trying to fill your mind, just drive down the highway. And the bumper stickers and the billboards that you didn't want to read, you're like, man, I need a washing. And you don't even like it. And you need to be washed. Let's look at the next piece, consecration. Consecration. There's no consecration without redemption. You won't want to consecrate your life to Jesus unless he's already bought you with a price. Make sense? You won't want to. Um, you know, somebody who hates the United States or despises the United States is not likely to enjoy the 4th of July. Right? Is not likely to stand and, and feel patriotic and put their hand on their heart and enjoy the Star Spangled Banner and, because they, there's people that hate this country around the world. Not everybody. Many people would love to come live here. And many have. Almost every one of us are the sons and daughters of immigrants, right? Unless you're a 100% Native American, and even they came here sometime even further back because we're all descendants from Noah and his family. Every one of us. We're all related, folks. And in the body of Christ, we're super related. But not everyone would enjoy the 4th of July. But those that feel blessed and thankful, hence that's the way you feel after salvation, you say, no, no, I'd be willing to die for the freedoms that we've been given. You see what it means? You're willing to, it's a form. Now, God wants us to be consecrated not to America. I'm just giving an illustration. He wants us to have that. Many people are more consecrated to America than they are to Christ. There's people, maybe, I hope none of you, but there's people that are far more patriotic than they are Spirit-filled. Nothing, patriotism in itself isn't wrong, but God wants us to not be consecrated to the stars and stripes or consecrated to the Chinese flag or consecrated to Islam, but consecrated to Him. Right? That's what the Lord wants us to be consecrated to. But once we have such thankfulness to say, Lord, thank you for my sins, the automatic response back is, is Romans 12, living sacrifice, which is a what service? Reasonable service. It's actually axiomatic service. It makes, God says, I gave you forgiveness. 
now you serve me the rest of your life. Now, he didn't say, I will give you forgiveness if you serve me the rest of your life. He says, I will give you forgiveness. Now you must, because I've bought you, and I have many other people I want to reach, and I'll now use you. That's what he used with the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul wasn't even looking for Jesus. He was looking to kill followers of Jesus. But Jesus said, now I'll take you, and I will then send you before kings and leaders. And he had a consecrated life, didn't he? Hebrews 10 19 through 20 says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holy of holies by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us, through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God. Our consecration is because Jesus has already consecrated the ministry for us. He consecrated, he tore the veil in two. He gave us access to the Father. He has washed us with his blood and with his word and with the renewing of the Holy Spirit. And so he says, I have consecrated your life, now consecrate it to me. In other words, he says, I've already pre-consecrated every one of you, but you have to give it back. So the point being, Moses could come and they could sacrifice and they could wash the high priest, they could wash the sons, and they could say, we don't want to do this. Why would you not? Didn't he, didn't he rescue you out of Egypt? You were, you were a slave not long ago. Didn't he give you food in the wilderness when you were about to starve to death? Didn't he give you water out of the rock? Why would you not want to give your life to him? You could die of a scorpion bite in the next minute. Why would you not want to use your life and so Moses, that would be unreasonable. Now, Aaron and his sons don't say that. They say, yes, you've given us everything. We consecrate ourselves back to you as priest unto the Lord. See, God will consecrate, but we're also willingly consecrating ourselves. He won't refuse to consecrate. He's already said, I have consecrated. In Hebrews chapter 10, Jesus has already consecrated the way. Remember, the early church was called the church of the way, weren't they? He's already consecrated the way. The way's consecrated. You already know what to do as you see, receive Christ Jesus, so walk in him, the scriptures say. You already know what the consecrated walk looks like, that when the men stood up, Billy didn't have to even say as much as he said. They already knew what the consecrated walk looks like. It's a question of will we have a consecrated walk? Amen? Not only this... Then you shall bring his sons and put the tunics on them. Shall gird them with sashes. Oh, this is a, more of a beautiful picture. Remember, Moses is the picture of Christ. They don't come with any garments. I don't even know where Moses got the garments. Scriptures don't tell us. He has this heavenly garment robes that whether the children of Israel had already made them, which they were told to make them, but nevertheless, they come, and Moses is holding the garments, and he is the one that puts the garments on the priest. It's a picture of who puts the garments on us? Christ does. You can't put yourself in heavenly garments because you're not heavenly, nor am I. You can't fashion garments for yourself. They must be fashioned by the Lord. 
Listen to what um, Charles Spurgeon said. He said, note, these garments were provided for them. They were at no expense in buying them, nor labor in weaving them, nor skill in making them. They simply had to put them on. Now, God provides them, but you still have to put them on. You ever read in Ephesians about the whole armor of God? We're supposed to put it on, but did we make the sword? No, because the sword is the word of God. We didn't make the sword. Did we make the helmet of salvation? We can't make salvation. We can only apply salvation, right? Do we make peace? No, we shot our feet with the gospel of peace. All the armor of God, God actually puts the armor there. He also puts these priestly garments there because we're told to be both. Soldiers for the Lord, priests unto the Lord. God provides both. Spurgeon goes on. Uh, they had to simply put them on, and you, dear child of God, are to put on the garments which Jesus Christ has provided for you at his own cost and freely bestows upon you out of his boundless love. The garments have already been consecrated. The simple question is, God says, will you consecrate yourself? I've consecrated the garments. I've consecrated the whole armor of God. I've told you that if you place it upon you, you will be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. You'll be able to stand in the evil day. You'll be able to have the words to say when you don't have the words to say. God says, I'll give you all these things, but you first must consecrate yourself unto me. Willingly. They didn't have to come. They could say, no th thanks, but no thanks. Let somebody else be the priesthood. But they became willing. Revelation 3, 5, And he who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments. I will not blot out his name from the land's book of life. That's a sobering statement. I don't want to be blotted out. You don't want to be blotted out. But we do want the white garments that he provides. He'll never take them away. We have to spurn them. We have to resist them. Remember what Stephen said before he, got, uh, before he died getting stoned? He said, you stiff neck, you always resist the Holy Spirit. He didn't say, you don't hear from the Holy Spirit. He didn't say, you've never heard from the Holy Spirit. He didn't say, God hasn't provided you enough information. He didn't say, God hasn't given you a church that preaches the truth. He didn't say any of that. He said, you resist the Holy Spirit. And with that, to shut him up, they stoned him. So they wouldn't have to hear the message anymore. But guess what? The message wasn't done because one among them would become even a greater voice. You'll never stamp out God's calling us to consecration, but you can try and cover your ears. Let's look at the next piece. Sanctification. Sanctification. Let's look at verse 20. Then you shall kill the ram and take some of the blood, put it on the tip of the right ear, tip of the right ear of his sons, not just Aaron and his sons. God doesn't want to consecrate just me. He wants to consecrate all of us. He wants to sanctify all of us. He wanted to redeem us, consecrate us, sanctify all of us. So they had to put the blood on the earlobe, on the right finger. Remember, Jesus sits at the what hand of God? The right hand of God, right? It's we want to be like Christ. We want to be, we want to rule, in a future, we'll rule and reign with him. We will follow him wherever he goes. We're told to follow him wherever he goes now. Blood on the right ear, right thumb, right big toe. But here's the thing. The blood is now from head to toe. Isn't it? Literally. 
Now, instead of covering them with blood, a blood bath, if you will, it's symbolic to put it at the head, at the hand, which hangs at the waist, and then at the toe. So from head to toe, you and I are sanctified daily by the blood, aren't we? Aren't you thankful for that? That not only does Jesus wash us, but the blood will always be there as a reminder, and other people should be able to see the blood evidence of Christ in our life. I asked the men, and I've asked this question at least four or five times lately, but I don't know why the Lord just really put it on my heart, and, and especially in the last days in which we live, although it's been true from the moment Christ uh, rose from the dead. I mean, who knows you're a believer other than the people in this church? People should actually see something different in you even before you share with them Christ. They really should. They should see you're the most honest guy at the office. You're the most reliable person. You're the one that is most willing to be interrupted from your routine to help somebody else. You're the one that would stay late when everyone else says, I've got plans. Sorry, can't do it. Love to help. You're the one that should be, when a neighbor has a crisis, you would be there and offer, and offer some kind of help. The blood evidence of Christ should be visible. People should see it on your hands. They should see it in the way you walk. Right? They could see it in what you're willing to listen to and what comes out of your mouth. Right? All of these things is the blood evidence of, of the Lord. The the Lord should be doing a continual work of sanctification in you. What does that mean? Sanctifying, conforming us to the image of Jesus Christ. It takes time, doesn't it? But it also starts immediately with salvation for those of us that are going to trust and obey, right? Going to trust and obey. Well, I don't understand. Why in the world would we put blood on our earlobe? We don't see any notion of Aaron and his sons asking the question, or Moses even asking the question. All right, Lord. But if we do these things, if we are in his word being washed, and he's applying, because notice they don't apply the blood to their own ear. Moses does. Isn't that neat? It doesn't say, and make sure they scoop up and plot, you know, Moses Jesus, it's a picture. He applies the blood to our life. You shall take some of the blood and sprinkle it upon their garments. Everything is covered. And the anointing oil. There's the Holy Spirit again. Must have the oil of the Spirit. Has to be a walk of the Spirit. I say then walk in the Spirit and fulfill not the desires of the flesh. Sanctification, a work, John 17, 19, for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. Jesus has promised to sanctify us, but we have to live in the truth, and he continually sanctifies us. I have to remind myself daily about the cross. I have to thank the Lord daily about the cross. Reapply the blood every day, not for salvation, but for sanctification, for cleansing again. You too. 
we're going to take the Lord's Supper. Why do we do that? It's another work of reminding us of the sanctification that Jesus has purchased on our behalf. Same principle, but we should be doing that daily in our lives. Acts 26, 18, one of my favorite verses, where Jesus had told Paul to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive the forgiveness of sins and inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Sanctified. Sanctified. That they would not just walk in faith into salvation, but they would walk forward in faith the rest of their life. Never would they go back to darkness again. If you've been saved, I mean, Peter put it this way, only a dog returns to its own vomit. Now, if you watch your dog throw up and go back and eat it, you're pretty grossed out, aren't you? Peter's saying this is the equivalent of Christians who say they've been born again and actually, instead of being sanctified in their life, actually go back to the world. He's like, then you literally are just like a dog eating vomit. That's how much... I'm not trying to gross you out. That's what the scriptures say. I didn't write it. Thank Peter for that one. And he was quoting from the Proverbs anyway. He would thank, he'd say, thank Solomon. Solomon said, that's the wisdom I got. That, that, was, the beauty of the, that was the beauty of the day. Write this down. He also wrote some really beautiful things too, like sweet as honey, you know, things like that. But this one's not so pretty, but it really makes the point clear that a sanctified life would never re-ingest sin. Does it mean we're perfect? No, but it means that we run from things that would cause us to be tempted by sin. And when we have people that would actually come into our lives that would cause us to pull away from Christ, we either share the gospel with them or we move on. Well, we should do both. Share Christ with them and get out. Don't be hating even the Jews is hating even the garments they're wearing. We don't, we're sanctified. Doesn't mean that we don't try and we should go. We, we, go, I, we go into Bon Air. Kids are in. Kids are in there have committed all kinds of crimes, hideous things. But I'm not going to join their lifestyle. I'm there to tell them about the sanctification of Jesus, the justification of Jesus, the redemption of Jesus, that God wants to consecrate their lives and he wants them to consecrate themselves to the Lord. But we're there to be a light, not to say, yeah, I, I, should, I should go back to sin. I love that vomit. Tastes delicious doesn't make any sense. Look at verse 22. You shall take the fat of the ram. Um, actually, no, skip down to 28, sorry. Uh, shall be, uh, verse 28, shall be a statute of the heave offering. It shall be a heave offering to the children of Israel. Take this uh, offering before the Lord. The holy garments of Aaron, you should be anoint them and consecrate them. Uh, the passage also tells us that they are to eat, eat the bread, and that we must, with consecrated this time in prayer, the heave offerings, think about when you, when you have the heave offerings, your hands are lifted up to where? To the Lord. And so you're lifted up to the Lord, which is a form of worship, and we have a prayer life 
where we come before the Lord, and then we ultimately then eat the very bread that he has consecrated. And what is that bread? It's right here. It's that life of looking unto the Lord in prayer, but then devouring his word. It's not just the blood applied on the outside. It's not just the anointing of the Holy Spirit. It's not just the washing, but it's also the ingesting of his word. That's why we take, he said, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. And later, they would understand that all of the words of God must be devoured, understood, studied, studied to show yourself approved unto God. And then these things, the faith that comes by hearing, oftentimes, just like you, uh, just this week, there was a couple things that were just really frustrating me. You ever have those days? Things that were just frustrating me. And, and the Lord just reminded me to speak the word of God because faith comes by hearing and hearing about it. So I just, a couple of verses came to my mind, and the whole day, I spoke, every time I was going to get frustrated about something, I started speaking it to myself. You weren't there. No one else was there. I was having a preaching moment to myself. And that word sustained, and it started to taste better the more I did it. Whereas everything else you do will taste more bitter the more you do it. You'll get more bitter. And you have to eat that and be sanctified. And the Lord says that's how you fight, not with the weapons of this world, which are carnal, but these weapons are mighty and tearing down strongholds. Amen? Last piece, occupation. As we come to a close. Occupation. Now clearly... These men, Aaron and his sons, are called to a very specific occupation. No one else in Israel could be of the priesthood. First, you had to be of the tribe of Levi. And the first men here are specifically the family of Aaron. Now, ultimately, the tribe of Levi, there will be more in the priesthood, and they'll all be from that tribe. But... They have a specific occupation, and it's going to be to serve the Lord. But again, back to my title today, we have a specific occupation, and it's to serve the Lord. Regardless of what you do as your vocation in life, you are to occupy your time until he returns, serving him with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength. And when you have hardly any strength, that's okay, because his strength is made perfect in weakness. There's never an out clause. You're called to love your neighbor as yourself. You're called to love those who despitefully use you. You're called to love your brothers. You're called to love your enemies. There's never an out clause. It's simply to say, Jesus is saying to us, every day you wake up. It belongs to me. You might have an employer, but your employer is well under the Lord. Now, you'll actually honor the Lord in honoring your employer. Uh, don't be misunderstood. Honest, hardworking employees are those that actually, those that answer the Lord, like Daniel and Joseph, make the best employees, make the best neighbors, make the best friends. Make, so as you serve the Lord, he'll take care you. They make the best husbands and wives. 
if I serve the Lord, I'm going to serve my wife. Not going to be an issue. Serve the Lord, I'll automatically serve her and the kids. Servant leadership. See, Moses was called not to be a lording leader, but a serving leader. They would have an occupation of service to the people. It's not all fun and games cutting up animals and playing with their kidneys and pulling the things out and washing the entrails. Does that sound enjoyable? It doesn't to me, unless you're a career butcher here. Remember those guys? They used to be normal. You know, you'd, they chop it up, and they wrap it in the wax paper and stuff. That used to be normal when I was a kid. I never see that anymore. I guess it still exists. Now everything's pre-wrapped in plastic. It happens somewhere, and we don't know where, <laughs> which is kind of scary that we can't see where it's happening anymore. You used to be able to see what was going on. But we're called, we're called, to, have this, we're called to have this ministry that's difficult and dirty, and it's very detailed at times, where God says, no, no, you can't do it your way, you must do it my way. But I think, and this is what Billy was talking about yesterday, I think if I change the message, people will like it better. And God says, won't work. Fool's game. Don't ever change what I've told you to do. Exactly the way I said to do it, do it that way. And you'll have my blessing, even if no one listens. That's why I love when Paul said in Romans 3, let God be true and every man a liar. Isn't that awesome? But all of America now thinks that this is a new, this, this is a fine way to have marriage. God says, I don't change. Not yesterday, not today, not forever. Seventh commandment is still the seventh commandment. It will never, ever be altered. I don't care what the Supreme Court does. I don't care what the local magistrates think. I don't care what your neighbor thinks. I don't care what scientists come up with. They are wrong. God is right. Amen? And part of my occupation is as priest unto the Lord as you are, and I mean that in the born-again sense, as a born-again follower of Jesus Christ, is to proclaim not only the acceptable year of salvation, but also to proclaim the whole counsel of God from Genesis to Revelation and give it as a heave offering to Him, regardless of how anyone else receives it. And that's all, that sometimes is difficult, isn't it? And it's a dirty job. Your hands get dirty doing that. But we're ne- we need to do this work that we've been called to do, and we have to do it the way the Lord tells us to do it. Um, Got to move quickly here. In tw- verse 23, take one loaf of bread, one cake made with oil, and one wafer from the basket of unleavened bread. This loaf of bread, picture the Word of God, a loaf of bread. This one cake made with the oil, that is the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. And then this last, this wafer in the basket is we take this wherever we go. It goes with us. I, don't, I am not different at Martin's or Wawa or at home or anywhere else. I, 
I must be the same wherever I go. Same word is with me. I don't give a, 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 a word to Calvary Chapel Richmond that I wouldn't give to a lost person or another saved person from another denomination or ministry. Same word goes with me everywhere I go because it is living and active and powerful, isn't it? It's got the anointing work of the Holy Spirit. I've eaten it myself. I continue to eat it, but I didn't create it. God gave it, just like manna. Did they create manna? No, manna was given to them. And so we take that with us everywhere we go. Our labor to the Lord must be consecrated. Now, clearly not everyone's called to be a pastor, but everyone's called to be an ambassador to the Lord, for the Lord, and ministry in the name of the Lord. So I don't care what you do. If you're a lawyer, if you're a plumber, if you're an accountant, if you're in sales, if you're in computer technology, if you're a stay-at-home mom, if you homeschool, if you don't homeschool, if you, whatever it is, whatever it is, you should be taking the Word of God everywhere you go, as if you're carrying a basket with it everywhere you go. It's your number one occupation is to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and everything else will be taken care of. If you make marketing yourself number one, you've got a big problem, right? If you make pleasing yourself number one, you've got a big problem. But if you make pleasing the Lord number one as your number one occupation, He'll bless your work. You say, Lord, I'll give even, I'll give you the tithe that you've commanded, I'll give you my time, I'll give you my talent, and He'll bless it tenfold. So I tried that for a week and it didn't work. Yeah, he might make you wait a little while. He's not playing games with us. He's actually in charge. He is the boss, right? So he, he'll do what he says he will do, but we have, to, we have to take the Lord wherever we go. Whatever our vocation in life is, we must take him. R.A. Torrey said, to win men to the, exception, to win men to the acceptance of, of Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord is the only reason Christians are left in the world. You believe that? Now, God doesn't need us. He could actually speak from heaven in such a loud voice that Richmond would shake and every building fall down, and then he would have everyone's attention, I am God, get saved or else. And yet, he's chosen instead to raise us up as a holy priesthood and say, now go out with the evidence of the blood on your ears, on your hands, on your feet, with the word of God in your hand, with your hand. The other thing I like about the heave offering too is the heave offering you would actually kind of throw back up to the Lord. And what do we do when we worship? We raise our hand, lifting holy, lifting holy hands without wrath and doubting. Lifting our hands before the Lord, it, our lives should be, it's a picture of worship. That those of us who have been redeemed and consecrated and sanctified, we actually live a life of worship. And the world around us sees us. You know, I, I can't even remember the song talking about our hands lifted up and if the world sees me. Some of you probably remember what I'm talking about. And you don't really care. Well, that's the priesthood. You couldn't hide if you were a priest. People pretty much knew it. You were dressed a certain way. 
You were doing things that no one else was doing. Why, why is he doing this stuff? You know, why is he throwing this incense up and doing all this stuff? He's a priest on the Lord. That's what he does all the time. That goofball serves Jesus all the time. Oh, yeah, that's, yeah, they, they sometimes take their lunch break. We don't, in their Bible, I don't know where they go. It's like they think that God really cares about all of their life, all of their time, right? So true. Closing passage, um, I'll read as we come to a close. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, um, verse 20, I'm sorry, verse 10. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 10. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As poor, yet making many rich. As having nothing, yet possessing all things. I think of the priesthood. Paul wrote this. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Life is not always easy. Most times it's not. And yet we're told to rejoice at all times. The priest had to endure a lot of people's problems coming to them, a lot of blood sacrifices, a lot of long days, and yet they were told to always be rejoicing in the Lord. Aaron had to wear holy on the Lord right here. He had to rightly represent God even when he had a headache, even when he had a toothache, even when someone else had said something that was offensive to him in the priesthood. They still had to Rejoice before the Lord, do exactly what the Lord said, have the right attitude, as poor yet making many rich. Isn't that awesome? That your bank account has nothing to do with making people rich. You could be dirt poor and make others rich in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul will be in heaven and have many riches, but he didn't have much on this earth. Amen? Moses Moses could have been a rich man. The Bible says in Hebrews, he gave up the riches of Egypt to be a follower of Christ. He even says Christ. He esteemed the riches of Christ greater than the riches of Egypt. Making many rich, having nothing, yet possessing all things. That is a beautiful thought. The priesthood, they owned nothing, and yet they actually owned everything because they were the ones that got to go into the very presence of who? The God of the universe who owns it all, and yet they own nothing. They were the one tribe that had no land, right? They, they later would, and yet having nothing, they have everything. Is that true with you? That in having nothing but the Lord, you actually have everything? Let's close in prayer.